0: Okay, well, I guess I, I'm on camera today. That's the first for me, so that is going to be interesting. I'm glad I dressed up, put on a tie. Oh, you know. gotta keep my hand away from the mic, though. Okay, sounds good. Hello, everybody, and thank you for allowing me to come here today to share the word with you. It's always a pleasure to come to Calvary Tacoma here and. I just love I like hearing Joe's teaching actually but um, yeah now I'm under the gun I got to keep it simple no now don't I can't can't go out there too far with this (laughs) so appreciate the opportunity Uh, today we're just going to talk about our our relationship with the Lord and where we're at in that so as we start let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for giving it to us so well, Lord, and throughout all the years preserving it for us, Lord. We ask that you bless it, Lord, that you uh, expound it to our hearts today, Lord, that you open our hearts to receive what your spirit has to say, Lord, that we might apply it to our lives, Lord, and live for you in hopefully a closer walk and a better relationship in a better way. We ask your blessing now upon this study, in Jesus' holy name, amen so we're going to look at uh, the children of israel they're always a good example of how not to do things and so so we'll look at uh, numbers chapter 13 and 14 this morning i could exhort you what to do but we'll look at first what not to do now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said that these things happened to them as examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. So Paul said you can use them for an example of what not to do. Well, there are some examples in there of what to do too. But uh, So in Numbers chapter 13, what has happened in the life of the children of Israel is that they've... Uh, Come out of Egypt, a tremendous deliverance by God through all of the plagues upon Egypt. The Red Sea has been parted. They've followed through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army has been drowned in the sea, and now they've spent some time, a little over a year, around Mount Horeb getting the law, getting the tabernacle built and the Ark of the Covenant, and now God says, it's time, you're ready, let's go into the land. Let's go. And so they came to the land, and in our first verse in chapter 13 of Numbers, it says The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one, a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. And we won't go through the names of the tribes and all that. But chapter 16, these are the names, or verse 16, chapter 13. These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun, who he changed his name to Joshua, and Moses sent them to spy out the land. Canaan and Canaan said, go up the way into the south and go into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell is good or bad, whether the cities in they inhabit are like camps, or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now is the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. And so Moses is sending out these spies, a man from every tribe. You now we find out later in Deuteronomy that Moses told them, you made me send out those spies. So we know a little backstory from reading ahead that even though God said, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it, the people were insistent that we don't just go in. We're not going to just go in by faith. We're going to check it out first. And so Moses sent the spies and he said, see if the people are good or bad, the land's good or bad, there's forests, and Bring some of the fruits. Time for the first ripe grapes. And so he sent the spies into the land. And uh, so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob and near the entrance of Hamath, wherever that is. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Uh, Heman, Seshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, if you don't know, the descendants of Anak were very tall. They were giants. And so, um, now, Hebron was built, a little side note, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, just so you know that. And they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried them between two of them on a pole. Those must have been some huge grapes, is all I can think. A cluster of grapes, and they got to have a pole and carry it between two guys. And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The valley of the the place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster, which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from Spine land after forty days. And now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, we went into the land you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in it, are the land are strong. The cities are fortified very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites dwell in the And the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, well, let's go up and just take possession of it for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. And so we get the bad report from the spies who went in. Now, God told them that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. He told them he would go before them. He told them he would give them the land. But they're now coming back saying, we can't take that land. There's giants in the land. And we, we look like grasshoppers to them. And they look like, we look like you know, grasshoppers to them. And so, you know, we can't do it. And Caleb's, you know, one of the spies said, hey, let's just go take the land. It's an end of discussion. The Lord's giving it to us. It's good land. And uh, so the result, we know, in chapter 14, was all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, I wish I were dead, you know? And this is not the way to face the promises of God. This is not faith, okay? This is complaining. Complaining and faith don't go. They're not synonymous. They're opposites. So why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt so they said to one another, let's select a new leader, Send I, I put in the new, select a leader to, to take us back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Puna, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation, of the children of Israel saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before Israel. Now, So the rest of the story is that the Lord said, well, you refuse to receive what I want to give you so you don't get it. And that's simple, Joe, right? (laughs) You don't want to receive what I want to give you so you don't get it. And so he said, you know, for the 40 days that you were in the land. Everybody of this generation from 20 years on up is going to die in the wilderness. They're not going to go in the land. For 40 days, there's going to be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But your children, who you said were going to die, they're going to go in the land. They're going to get it. You know, we have a problem sometimes. We have a, a tend to be child-centric when we're young couples raising children we're worried about our children. And it's a good thing to worry and to... Be concerned about your children. But, uh, you know, the Lord loves your children more than you do. Amen. And to make decisions based upon your children that, oh, we can't do that for the Lord, or we can't do this because, you know, we have to put our children first. No, put the Lord first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he cares about your children. <coughs> your children. And uh, he told them, you know, your children, they're going to take the land. They're going to possess the land, but you're not. You lose. And so these things were written beforehand that for our learning, according to Romans chapter 15, verse 4. And these things happened to them as an examples. And like I said, these are the examples of things not to do. And one of the... Th- they had two things that they loved to do, the children of Israel, the congregation in the wilderness. One, they wanted to go back to Egypt every time there was a difficulty every time the lord wanted to bring them along in faith they said let's go back to egypt i was listening to that song by um, keith green i don't know that's that's early 80s if you haven't heard of him but (laughs) he has a he has a song that says so you want to go back to egypt and it says so the and the words are so you want to go back back to egypt where it's warm and secure are you sorry you bought a one-way ticket when you thought you were sure And so, you know, the first thing things get hard, let's go back to Egypt. Now, things were hard in Egypt. But they thought it was better because they had leeks and onions to eat with their meals. Although they were building things like cities and slave labor, they could at least eat good. And they said, you know, we we liked those things in Egypt leaks but you were slaves well that doesn't matter you know it does matter and that's why the Lord delivered you because the Lord said I've heard the cry of my people and I've come to deliver them and so Moses delivered them led them out and miraculously the the Red Sea parted for them to come out of Egypt and be delivered from Pharaoh that was something the Lord did mightily for them they were witnesses to all of this and lord accuses them in chapter 14 says you saw everything that i did and now you're still no faith you know they say seeing is believing right well obviously not believing is seeing you believe the lord he's going to show you good things but seeing you know seeing is just well show us you know the, the pharisees were always saying well show us a sign to jesus you know he just Miraculously heal people, heals the leopard, brings a person back to life, and they say, "Show us a sign." You know, what do you want? <laughs> and but we can be like that in our walk. Okay, we're we're looking at the children of Israel. We can be like that when things get difficult, when things get hard for us, when we have to, you know, just trust the Lord for once. Then we think, you know, and I've heard this a number of times from different people, it was easier before I was a Christian. <laughs> How do you know this time in your life, this day and this hour was easier if you, wouldn't, if you were not a Christian? You don't know that. You just, you're just looking back. And that's the way the children of Israel were. They said, oh, it was better in Egypt. We had leeks and onions. Oh, it's better before I was a Christian. I didn't have to worry about this, you know. Really, you know. The thing about it is, guys, the, when they were in the Red Sea, Paul tells us they were baptized unto Moses. And in Colossians chapter 11, Paul says, or is it 2.11? I don't know. But Paul says that we were baptized with Christ into his death, baptized into his death, buried with Christ. And so there's a departure there that, we have to be aware of in our walk with Jesus Christ. When we became believers, when we accepted his life, we departed from our old life. There's no going back. And there were not, God was not going to part the Red Sea for them to go back to Egypt. Not going to happen. And you know, they were going to have it worse if they did get back to Egypt, you know. And so that wasn't an option, but they just kept throwing it out there. Oh, it was better in Egypt. If we had only died in Egypt, or if we had only died in this wilderness before we came to this hard spot where we're supposed to go into this land and take it now. And so we have to be careful in our relationship. And and there is that time in our walk with the Lord where we're new believers. we, We come through the Red Sea, so to speak, we're baptized into Christ, whether you've actually physically done that or not. Not You've confessed Jesus Christ, and, and you're his. And there's a time that we kind of wander in the wilderness, in our new life, in, in getting things right. Now, God didn't take them directly into the, the land. He said, I'm not going to take them directly into the battle because they will get uh worried and and scared of of the battle the fight here i'm going to take them so he tucked them around and gave them the law gave them the commandments they said you know whatever god says we'll do they made a covenant with god and now now the covenant was strong with them and god has showed them his care for them now it's time to go into into the land and take it and there is uh another phase that uh, Happens in the life of believer, and it should happen. There's that time to go- move on from the rudimentary things, from the things where you're just in the wilderness. You, there's a there's a further advancement to your faith that not everybody takes. Not everybody takes, and it came 40 years later for the children of Israel when Joshua, when Moses had died and Joshua was to take them into the land. There was another crossing they made. It was crossing the Jordan to go in and take the land. And after 40 years, nobody was saying, let's go back to Egypt. After 40 years, they were saying, we're tired of the wilderness too. After 40 years, they were ready to move on. And so there's that other step of faith, not only becoming a child of God, but becoming totally committed to him. And And crossing the Jordan, was a commitment, because once they crossed the Jordan, interesting enough, the waters were, again, stayed back. It says that they weren't parted, but they were held back on the Jordan, so they could cross on dry ground. And they crossed on the Jordan, and after they were across the Jordan again, the waters flowed again, and it was flood stage at that time. And so there was no going back from that, but to go over to, to make that commitment to go into the land, they're, now they're going to receive what the Lord has for them, by faith. And they're going to take on the battles, and they're going to do it. They they're, they're are they're they done with the wilderness, they're so done with Egypt, it's not even a thought now, in their minds. And that's when we go through that time when we're growing in the Lord, we... we move on in our faith to the point where we we come to the realization we should come to the realization there's no going back this is who we are we're in christ now this is our lives how do we do make the best of this how how does this life become the best life that we could have now automatically it is because you're saved but there's things you can do and in first corinthians if you want to look at that chapter 10 i found five things you can do That Paul instructs them about having a better life so you're not following the example of the children of Israel in their complaint in 1st Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 5 it says now with most of them talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples in the intent that we should, and he gives us number one, not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Number two in verse seven, do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down and rose up to drink and rose up, or down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse eight is the third one. Don't let us commit sexual immorality. That's a, something that is, unfortunately, become too common among Christians these days. Because it seems to be the, um, more the norm than the exception that people live together before they're married. And Paul is saying that this is what not to do. Be married before you have sex with your partner. Nor, number four, let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by servants. And number five, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So there's five things you can do in your relationship with the Lord to make it better, to make it the best one. Paul said, just do these things. Use them for an example of things not to do. Don't lust. Don't become idolaters. Commit sexual immorality. Tempt Christ or complain. You never complain, do you? You know, in in James chapter 5, it says that you've heard about the trials of Job and how Job's patience. You know, I've read the book of Job. Job was a complainer. He was. Oh, curse the day that they said a male child was born, you know, and, and, and he complained to high heaven, but looking back at it, they say, you know the patience of Job. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> the Bible says he was patient. He, he did not, of course, t- curse God and all of that, but he did complain. He didn't complain to, about God. He didn't want to turn back from his faith in God. He said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him, you know. And that's where Job's attitude was. But, you know, don't tempt Christ. In Numbers uh, 21.5, it says, they spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt into the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food, this manna. They were complainers. That was their second thing they liked to do. First thing was, let's go back to Egypt. It's too hard. Second thing was complain. And they really liked complaining or murmuring. It was like one of their favorite pastimes. I guess they had nothing better to do. <laughs> Let's get together and talk bad about Moses. Amen. <laughs> the pastor of the church says amen. Amen. You know. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> you know I used to tell the congregation, I said, if you got a problem with me, come to me, talk to me. I don't bite. Let's talk it out. No, that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to talk to each other about the problem they had with me, and they wanted to share the misery and wanted to get more. Uh, they counsel right. They wanted to get accomplices, and and uh, I would always hear about it after people were upset after you know things have gone around and and that's it's not the way to do it you know if you matthew uh, 18 if you have a problem with somebody go to them talk to them that's the the adult thing to do don't complain about them don't be like the children of israel in the wilderness and and complain go talk to them and you know if it's not worth talking to them about it's not worth even talking to anybody about and so don't complain. Now they tempted Christ. That was verse nine in First Corinthians ten. It said that they were destroyed by serpents for doing that. You now temptation, tempting Christ is in Numbers twenty one it says they spoke against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt? There's no bread, no food. That's 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 Putting God to the test is just, just saying that, uh, you know, God, you're not enough. And we really don't have all our needs met. and the, What they had is not their, they didn't have their lust met or their wants met. And, uh, you know, don't become idolaters. That seems to be something for us that we would... Uh, not really have a problem with, we are, we're not idolaters. Maybe you could blame the Catholics. They got statues in their churches, you know, or something. Maybe that's idolatry. But actually, you know, you can worship other things. And, and by worship, you don't have to prostrate yourself before them. But where do you put your time and energy? Where do you put your uh, resources, you know? Is there something there that maybe you're putting too much emphasis on in your life that would displace God? oh, I can't you know, serve God in this because I've got this to do. or you know. And so there's these things that we can become idolaters in that way because we allow these things in our lives to displace God in our lives. It's not bad to have things. It's not bad to spin your energy. I mean, if you have things, you gotta take care of things. But if it's in conflict or it's in competition with Jesus Christ in owning your life, owning your time and your resources, then you have to rethink it. And you want a better relationship with God. You don't want anything to interfere with that. And don't lust after evil things. There's a lot of evil things in this world. Don't lust after them. So this was their state. They were complaining they couldn't go into the land because they didn't have faith. They sent spies in the land. They weren't trusting the Lord. Let's go check it out first before we make this commitment. You know, We're not going to commit until we know. You know. There's no faith in there. Faith is trusting the Lord. The Lord said. That's how we know. The Lord promised it to us. That's how we know we can receive it. The Lord said he would go before them problem with that but they said no let's go check it out first not trusting the Lord and they came back at least 10 of the 12 came back and said oh no the Lord's got it in for us if we try to go there if we follow him in this one we're really gonna be messed up we can't trust the Lord to do it Joshua and Caleb said what are you talking about you see the grapes we brought back these guys I don't care how big they are. They're afraid of us. They're our meat. Let's go for it. Of course, they listen to the tin because having no faith is easier than having faith. Have you ever thought about that? Mm -hmm. Having no faith is easier than having faith because faith requires you to trust God. Having no faith, you can trust yourself, and you've trusted yourself so long and you're comfortable with that. But to come out of your area of comfort, your comfort zone and two. Trust God for something, especially when he's promised you something. Receive it, take it by faith. Don't be afraid of it. You know, God says it's yours, it's yours. Now, like I said, there was two crossings. The first crossing was into the wilderness actually from the Red Sea their new life under Moses, their new life serving God, their new life free from slavery. They were delivered, and we as Christians are delivered from the slavery of sin. You were once slaves to sin, Paul said. But we're free in Christ, and we were saying that we are free indeed. I'm a child of God. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. doesn't mean we don't, falter and sin but we're not controlled by it It doesn't hold on to us we have an option now we have the power of the holy spirit (coughs) and the word of god and we have we don't have to sin we're not living in that any longer we're not living in egypt that's the world but like i said they there was a second phase that i believe that believers have to go through And they should go through. Not not all believers do this. This is the optional package. You know, Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the if. That's the options, you know. Well, I've got Christianity. Well, do you want the options? And that's always a, a choice now. Do we want to take the options? Now, they had the choice to follow Joshua into the land or not now by the time they came to that choice the first choice they were supposed to go in the land with Moses they said no we don't like that option we'd rather have egypt but after 40 years they didn't mention egypt anymore they were ready to take the option to go in the land and they had to go in by faith because you know there are those who say well the land of canaan that's like a metaphor of heaven us you know we, we believers get to heaven they cross to Jordan they get to the other side and that's heaven the only problem with that analogy is that um, they had wars to fight in there they had to displace the inhabitants of the land they had to that's not heaven to me you know when I get to heaven I'm not looking to fight battles I'm looking for rest I'm looking for glory I'm looking for heaven You know, that wasn't Canaan. Canaan is a type of um, a believer's life that is totally committed or totally abandoned to what God has for them. There's a point in our lives that we can decide, in our spiritual lives, where we can decide to go further with the Lord, to move on, or to just be comfortable in the wandering the wilderness wonderings, we're saved, we're saved by grace, heaven is our home, we're gonna go there someday, <clears throat> what's for dinner, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and God is always calling us deeper, there's more, there's some options that you can have, if any man will come after me, there's a closer walk, you know? with Jesus Christ there's something more and you know I call it discipleship you know we talk about discipleship in the church where we have the books we go through the memory scripture and stuff but discipleship is actually disciplining your life that's where we get the word disciple we discipline our lives purposely to have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ we change our lives in commitment to him so that we move on and we cross a point we come we cross the jordan we come to a point in our lives where we don't want to just be christians we don't want to just be saved we we want to serve the lord with our lives we want everything he has for us we don't care what it costs we're crossing over and we're making this commitment and we're not going back now once the children of israel were in the land of canaan Nobody said, can we get back across the Jordan? This is too hard. That they, they wasn't there. They committed, and they were going forward, following Joshua to do the battles and to take the land. And you know, we just have to have faith in obeying God's word to receive the promises, the things that are for us. If we want to receive them, maybe it requires a further commitment to Jesus Christ from us. But it's a choice. Do we move on or not? Do we commit, as, our, as Oswald Chambers says, do we just go or reckless abandonment to God? We say, no matter what it costs, I'm going to serve the Lord. No matter what I have to do, that's where I'm going. No matter how it affects people around me, I'm following the Lord. And there's a point in our spiritual lives where we have a choice to make that decision. Are we going to do that? Are we going to become that committed? Are we happy where we're at? You're not going to go back to Egypt, but you're really not going to go that far. I remember when we first received the Lord, Don, Don and I, we were young Christians, and her, her, her mother, who was nominal Christian, but uh, she, she told Don, she said, now don't go overboard with this. <laughs> <laughs> just don't go overboard you know don't become a fanatic you know and in the in the old days they called us Jesus freaks you know don't go overboard but that's where all the blessings are that's where the that's getting into the land that's that's taking getting grabbing a hold of everything that God has for you is going overboard you're gonna do it and it's that decision now, it's interesting that before they went in the land, that Moses gave them seven things to do. We we have five things that Paul told the believers in uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses ten through nineteen. There's uh, there's seven things listed for being in the land for your relationship and. Uh, Verse 12, it says, beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. In verse 13, the second thing is, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. The third thing is, you shall not go after other gods. The fourth thing is, you shall not tempt the Lord. Fifth thing is, you shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God. His testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you, and the sixth thing is, you shall not, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it will be, may be well with you. And the seventh thing, cast all your enemies out before you. Moses giving him instruction. This is how you're going to take the land. This is how you're going to move on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're you're going to keep these things because. We need need that discipline in our lives. We need to be disciples. We need to be disciplined. We need to make our lives disciplined in in a way that enhances our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we have disciplines in our lives, and every relationship has a discipline. If you go to work, you have a discipline there. You show up on time. You do what the boss tells you, usually, and you put in your time, because you have a covenant, an agreement with them, and this is that you do this and they will pay you money, and so you discipline yourself so you get your paycheck. You go to school. Hopefully, we can get back to school. But uh, you know, you have a discipline that you get to school on time, you attend class, you do your work, and you get your grades. You, have a, you discipline yourself to make the best of your school time so that you can graduate and move on in life. So every th- relationship, even husband and wife, has a discipline. You, you practice things that you know will please your husband or wife and you don't do the things that, well, usually you don't do the things that displease them. <laughs> if you do something that displeases your wife, she lets you know. So that's a good thing. All right, don't do that. And so we discipline our lives. That's That's... That's a discipline. Now what about a relationship with the Lord? What about our relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there a discipline that we can add to our lives that will make that relationship good? Yes. We don't want to do the things that would damage that relationship. and we want to do the things that would enhance that relationship. That's a disciple, your discipline. Now, if you're wandering in the wilderness, you're just happy to be saved and make it to church sometimes, and, you know, you're not probably disciplined. But you're saved. We're not going to discount that. But you're missing out on getting into the land, and receiving the blessings of God. You've got to not forget the Lord. Discipline. Fear the Lord and serve him. Find something to do for the Lord. Let him lead you. Can you serve the Lord? Yes. Doesn't have to be in church. It can be anything that you're doing. Just do it under the Lord. Not go after other gods. We talked about our idols, you know. Don't get let something take so much of your time and resources that God isn't allowed to take and use them. Sorry. I'm busy. Not a disciple's words. Sorry, Lord, I'm busy? No. Yes, Lord, what do you want? Don't tempt the Lord. Don't say the Lord just doesn't take care of me. The Lord doesn't meet my needs. You know, he does. He's promised to take care of you. Maybe you won't have everything you ever wanted, Maybe you've been listening to some, we were talking about TV evangelists, you know, where they promise you all these blessings if you just give them their money, give them your money, you know. But you'll have enough. The Lord will take care of you. You may not be rich, you may be very poor, but the poor are rich in faith, that the Bible tells us. Diligently keeps His commandments, stay in the Word. Continually stay in the Word. Go to church. Listen to guys like me tell you the word. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. My wife always has that saying. Do the right thing. You know, what do I do in this situation? I don't know. Should I do this and that? And my wife says, well, do the right thing. Oh. She used to have a a friend, good friend years ago that had trouble doing that, had trouble making decisions. What do I do? And my wife said, well, do the right thing. And so, do the right thing, oh. Okay, so she would put post-it notes <laughs> in her, in her car, on her car dash or whatever, on her refrigerator or whatever. You know, it's always said, do the right thing to remind her. That's what she's supposed to do. What's well, right here in the scripture, do the right thing. Do what is right before the Lord and cast out your enemies before you. Don't let something occupy the space in your life that the Lord is giving to you. Get rid of it. Maybe you've got a toy. Don't want to condemn anybody with toys here. But maybe you've got a toy that, using that toy, takes away from what the time could be used for the kingdom. Difficult choice, but if it's an enemy of the kingdom, if it's an enemy of your relationship with Jesus Christ, if it's an enemy, get rid of it. Cast it out before you. You say, gee, Les, it sounds like being a disciple is not any fun. (laughs) Well, it's not fun sometimes. It's joyful, though. You know, when John wrote, First John, to, to the uh, church, he, he said, these things are right to you that your joy may be full. Maybe we miss out on some fun things, but we have joy because we're closer to the Lord. We're intertwined with him, and, and we're supposed to have faith, you know. We're supposed to trust that if the Lord is telling me to get rid of this out of my life, he's got something better for me. He's got something to replace it that we would probably never even look for if we had not displaced that thing out of our lives for it. And so, you know, don't cut the Lord short. If he's telling you to get rid of something, if he's telling you to change your lifestyle in some way, he's got something better for you. It's in the land. You won't find it in the wilderness. you got to move on by faith. Obey God's word. Don't rebel against the Lord. That's what they told, said. You know, we've, the land we passed through and spy out, spied out is exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us, and He will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. honey only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land for their bread. Don't fear them. Have faith faith and fear. They're mutually exclusive. Faith and worry. Faith and lack of trust, you know, faith means you're not afraid to do what the Lord has asked you to do. Faith means you're trusting the Lord to take care of you and your kids, by the way. Your wife and kids were okay, or your husband and kids are okay as long as you're trusting the Lord. You're having faith in the Lord. He loves your kids more than you. He said, I love my kids a lot. Well, he loves them more. have faith, don't be afraid. He wanted to give them blessings going into the land. They said, let's go look at the blessings first before we know if we want them. You know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey the Lord's going to give you. Well, let's go check it out first. That's not faith. That's not trusting the Lord. That's, you know, the Lord has something better for you. Take it. So the Lord spent 40 years with this people in the land. Now, the 40 years doesn't have to be you. It was them. And he prepared them, to, though, during that 40 years. The curse uh, that was on the, peop- the people that were 20 years old and above, that had to come to pass. God proclaimed that there were bodies fell in the wilderness for 40 years, but after 40 years of preparation, after 40 years, no one turned back. No one even said, no, we can't do it. They were ready to move on. Egypt wasn't even a thought. And the desire had passed for Egypt and those things with the generation that fell in the wilderness in our time in our wilderness experience the lord is working to remove egypt from our desires too we're in the wilderness because there's still a little desire for egypt you know and you can help the lord with that by making the right choices too like paul gave us five things when we no longer want to go back you know when we realize that no my life before christ was a life without hope. When we realize that, we have hope now. When we realize that we're in Christ for good, then it's time to move on. When we no longer complain and blame God for our difficulties, but trust him, why would the Lord do this to me? You're past that. Whatever the Lord does to me, like Job says, though he slay me, I'll serve him. It's the only option I have. We're ready to move on. How long will this wilderness experience be? How long from the time you believed in Jesus Christ to the time you decide to cross the Jordan, you know, in your own life? Make that total commitment to that reckless abandonment, that move by faith where there's no going back. I'm totally and completely his. That's really up to us. There's, we don't have to wait 40 years i know my personal experience when i uh dedicated my life to the lord i just made him a promise i said i'm never going to say no to you that was kind of my commitment by faith but i just had that in my heart i said i'm never going to say no to you he's held me to that sometimes you know maybe there's egypt in that i wish i hadn't said that because he held, held you to it <laughs> do this i can't say no now as some of you know my story i do go travel to myanmar and missions every year except this last year because of the COVID thing but but um, my first invitation to go to myanmar and help the people there and bring the word i said no i didn't know it was the lord at the time i just figured is this gal from myanmar saying we just need help you know come and help us and i said no but the voice came—that still small voice—and I was wrestling with it. Oh, that was you, and I can't say no. I said that, so I said yes. And so, you know, we—the wilderness wanderings, the time between when we come to know Jesus and the time we we move on to that total commitment—that's really up to us. We don't have to spend any time in the wilderness. When you come to Jesus Christ, commit everything and don't take anything back. No looking back. So it's up to us. And maybe it's time for you to move on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're just kind of hanging out in the wilderness and you're cool with that. But there's something more the Lord's holding out for you, offering you to go and commit fully to him your life so that he can... Use that life for his purposes, especially in these crazy last days. You know, there's probably something that you can be doing if you'll commit everything to him without reserve. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Now turn and take your journey to the land. He says, You've fooled around long enough. We've been at this mountain. 4 years, that's enough, take your journey. Have commitment, determine not to go back, determine not to complain, and determine not to have any other gods or influences in your life. And have joy. You say, oh, this is really hard. Yeah, maybe, but you'll have joy. These things are written that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. You want joy? You, you can't make yourself happy all the time, but you can always have joy. But that comes from a close relationship with Jesus Christ, that love relationship. Then no matter what he asks you, that's not a problem, we'll do it. Because we love the Lord and we have so much joy in our relationship. But as you pass through this Jordan of yours, when you, the thing that joshua was instructed to do when he led the people through the jordan into the land the lord told him have 12 guys one from each tribe pick up a stone out of the middle of the jordan river that's not flowing at that moment and set it up on the shore of jordan as you come across into the land set those stones up and that would be a memorial when Future generations ask, what are these stones about? What are these stones here for? And then you can tell them that's where the children of Israel crossed. That's when they made their commitment. That's when they went into the land. And, but Joshua did something else. Joshua took and set up some 12 stones in the middle of the river while the river is dry, so that there, people could see when the river flowed again, there was these top of these stones sticking out of the middle of the river. And so he could say, we were there. This is where we passed through. We did pass through. These stones are on this side, but look at those stones. We set those up over we in, And so this is evidence that we're committed. That's where we were. This is where we came through. This is where we are. And as difficult situations arise, you can look back at the stones and say, ah, yeah, we're committed. Maybe you're walking by faith and knowing that he is, has these promises for you. But maybe there's times when you have trials. Everybody has trials. It's part of the Lord growing us up. We can look back on our commitments and say, I committed. At that point, I was committed. No matter what happens now, I've got a reminder. Maybe you have to set up your own stone. That's my stone. That's that's my commitment. If you're following Christ, each trial will become a victory. Promise. Maybe you won't understand the trial, but in the end, he's, he's forming you. He's making you into something you were never before, the image of his son. If you continue in total commitment to him, these things happen. There's always that if. But those are the options. We have the believer's promise. We have the the gift of God of salvation, which cost us nothing. It was paid for in full. But then we have the option package, which if we want it, we can get it. Do we we buy the car with the options? Or do we just get the basic model? I've always found personal experience. Get all the options on the car. Because when you go to sell the car, it's worth more because it has all the options. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. (laughs) But, you know, wisdom says take the options. Take the options. Get them. And commit yourself to the Lord. Become a disciple. Don't just become a believer. Believer is... A gift from God. A disciple is a gift to God. And you want to give back for all the things that he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your mercies, Lord. They're new every morning, Lord. And the things you've put us through, we know, Lord, are for our own good. And Father, we ask that you help us, Lord, in our walk that we remember the things to do, the things not to do. The way to go, Lord, the, the place where we ought to be, Lord, that when our prayers, Lord, to you, we can just contact you and, you will Lord, just share that joy of the relationship. Lord, bless our lives in you. From this day forward, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.